Hello there, this is Dwayne McCrary. I'm the team leader for Adult Explore the Bible. And today I'm joined by Mike Livingston, who's the content editor for Adult Explore the Bible team as well. So Mike, thank you for being with us today. It is my pleasure to be here. Uh, this particular lesson that we're looking at today, session eight, we finished our study of nu numbers last week, and we'll really be starting our study of Deuteronomy next week. But in the middle, even though we're in Deuteronomy, we have our Sanctity of Human Life lesson. We'll be looking at two passages from Deuteronomy for this particular lesson, a, a passage out of Deuteronomy 5 and a passage out of Deuteronomy 19. In Deuteronomy 5, 17, we find a prohibition. Uh, Moses reminded the Israelites of the commands given to him by God on Mount Horeb. And he particularly, in this particular verse, it's about the command against murder. It's about God forbidding premeditated murder. After we deal with that passage, we're then going to go to Deuteronomy 19. Uh, and, and at that point, verses 4 through 13 are what we're going to be focusing on. Uh, the beginning of that section, 4 through 10 of chapter 19, uh, God directed Moses to establish cities of refuge throughout the land as safe havens for people who accidentally killed another purpose, a person. Excuse me. Uh, the purpose of these cities... Uh, was to minimize inappropriate revenge by the loved one of the person who was accidentally killed. It, it's really a way of, of God providing grace, showing His grace, and protection. However, there was a caveat to that. And in verses 11 through 13, what we find is that God directs Moses to explain that if a person commits premeditated murder and did flee to the city of refuge, that that person was to be brought to justice. He's reminding them that God's people are to work for justice. Now, Mike, there's all kinds of questions and issues that we could address here in this particular passage or passages. Um, let's start with the cities of refuge. What do we know about the cities of refuge, and how did that system work, and, and did it work? Yeah, this was a city to which a person who accidentally, unintentionally killed another person. He could flee and be protected and be saved from the vengeance of the, the, the dead man's relatives. The literal translation of the city of refu refuge is a city of intaking. There are three of these cities mentioned in Deuteronomy 19.2, uh, but three had already been established east of the Jordan. So there were six total cities of refuge, three on each side of the Jordan. They were strategically located so that anyone living in any part of the country could have the opportunity to flee to a place of refuge is in, if needed. Now, there were certain requirements that had to be met before a person could take refuge in one of these cities. And the primary requirement, as we've mentioned, was that the death must have occurred by accident without any premeditation or intent. And the example in Deuteronomy 19.5 describes an axe head flying off his handle and hitting a neighbor so that he dies. So there, there is a distinction, as you pointed out, uh, in, the, in the Old Testament between premeditated murder, which was a capital crime, and involuntary manslaughter. And the city of refuge was the place where someone who took a life accidentally could find refuge. And it really served, the cities served two purposes, really. It protected someone who took a life accidentally from the retribution of, of a family member of the deceased, and it also served as a place of exile or banishment for those individuals guilty of manslaughter. And, and the system did work in those two ways. So, so the first requirement is that the death occurred unintentionally and accidentally, but the second major requirement is that once that 
once the manslayer was admitted to the city and the city elders found him not guilty of intentional murder, that person had to stay there in the city of refuge. He couldn't leave. And if he chose to leave the city, then he could be killed by a blood relative of the deceased. That would be the, the blood at blood avenger. So there was only protection as, as long he, as you stayed in that he, city. Yeah, he had to stay in the city or he, the, he was not protected. However, one interesting little bit of information we see in the scripture is that when the, when the high priest died, when the current high priest died, this person was allowed to go free. He could leave the city and, and could not be touched by the relatives of, of the victim. Numbers 35, 25, it says he must live there until the death of the high priest. So the death of the high priest, even if, if the high priest you know, died of natural causes, the death of the pre high priest paid the price of the penalty for the killing. It atoned for the death of the victim, and it removed the blood guilt of the, of the killer. And that's an interesting little um, bit of information. There was, there was nothing the manslayer could do, nothing that he could do, no price he could pay to atone for what he had done or to secure his own release. Only the death of the high priest could secure his freedom. Now, obviously, there's, there's gospel in that. Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, Jesus. Of course, you know, Jesus is our heavenly high priest, whose death set us free from guilt and condemnation. So you can make that connection. You you can get some gospel into this sanctity lesson right there. This is a a place where we see God's grace at work. Yes. Uh, in in that time period, plus in our in today's life as mm -hmm. well. Um, I know there's going to be people as we teach this lesson. There're going to be people sitting in our in our our groups who have different views on capital punishment, on the death penalty. Um, how can we deal with that as a teacher while we're teaching this this particular lesson? Yeah, Bible believing, Bible believing, evangelical believers will differ in their beliefs on this uh, topic on on capital punishment or the death penalty. And we have to keep in mind that both sides, those on both sides of this issue, those who support the death penalty or those who oppose the death penalty, both sides can cite strong biblical and theological reasons for their position. Both are able, both sides are able to appeal to the value that God places on human life. So those who oppose the death penalty they can point to, to Scripture. They can point to passages of Scripture. And you know, I'll just throw out a, a couple of examples. You know, Jesus' example of not demanding death for the woman caught in adultery, which was a capital offense among the Jews. And, and that would support this ar the argument against the death penalty. Or mm -hmm. the biblical examples of capital criminals in Scripture who were not executed. And, and there are you know, some Moses, uh, David. Both, you know, committed murder, uh -huh. and then on the other side of it, uh, those who support well, adultery would have been a capital offense, and too. it was, yeah, it was. And then those who support the the death penalty, I mean, they you can look at scripture for that too. Um, you they, you can appeal to Genesis nine, which and of course that precedes the the law, the Mosaic law. But Genesis in Genesis nine verse six, whoever sheds human blood by humans, his blood will be shed, for God made humans in His image. So in your group, in your Bible study group, 
just keep in mind that there will be people of differing, differing opinions. Different opinions will be represented more than likely. And just keep in mind that both can appeal to the Bible, both believe in the, in the Bible, both can appeal to the value and the sanctity of, of, of life, and we want to be respectful. Now, um, for our purposes of this lesson in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy makes the price for committing murder very high. It was a capital crime. We can't, can't deny that. That's right there in Deuteronomy. And the, the endorsement of the death penalty in, in Deuteronomy 19, uh, it, it does not contradict the sanctity of life. In fact, you can make the point that the book of Deuteronomy requires death for murderers precisely because human life is sacred. One of the things that we see here in Deuteronomy 19 is that the people are called upon to work for justice. If someone comes to uh, one of these cities and they are it's determined that they uh, did commit premeditated murder, then that person is to be brought to justice. So what role do we as believers today have in upholding justice in our world? Well, God cares about justice. Uh, you, can't, you can't read the Bible uh, and, and not come to that conclusion that justice flows from God's heart and God's character and the role that we have as believers in upholding justice in our world is, I would put it like this, our, our role is to care about the things that God cares about and to care enough to, to do something about it. Or in other words, to obey His commands that are a reflection of His heart for those who are suffering injustice. Now, here's what God commands in Scripture. And I'll just point, you know, point to a few, a few verses. Uh, but here's what God commands in Isaiah 117. It says, pursue justice, pursue justice, clear command. Now, what does that mean to pursue justice? Well, the verse goes on to tell us. What, what does that mean to pursue justice? It goes on to say, correct the oppressor, defend the rights of the fatherless, plead the widow's case. Psalm 82, 3 and 4, verses 3 and 4, provide justice for the needy and the fatherless. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and needy. Save them from the power of the wicked. And in the New Testament, James 1.27, look after orphans and widows in their distress. Or Jesus in Matthew 25, I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you took care of me. I was in prison, you visited me. That's working for justice. When we work to protect the vulnerable, including the, the unborn or the elderly or the terminally ill or the disabled, the poor, the orphan, uh, when we advocate for, for issues like sex trafficking or homelessness or racial reconciliation, when we do these things, we are fulfilling the biblical mandate to work for justice. Okay, I just want to repeat those verses to make sure that, that I've got them. I have Isaiah 117, Psalm 82, 3 through 4. James 1, 27, and then Matthew chapter 25. Yeah, verses, especially verses 35 and 36. Okay, 35 and 36. Yeah. That helps me uh, get a handle on that idea of justice. Mike, any other things you would want to share about this particular lesson that we may need to, to think about as we prepare for this Sunday? Yeah, well, one, I, I didn't mention one, just one quick thing. I, I'll put in a plug for the Biblical Illustrator magazine. There's an article in the current issue, Winter 2020, issue of, of the Biblical Illustrator about the cities of refuge. So if you have access or can get a hold of the, of the Biblical Illustrator, there's a very good article in there about that. Yeah, you can purchase that at lifeway.com forward slash Biblical Illustrator. You can get it in both print 
and digital format. So uh, both of those are available and you can find that information at that particular URL. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Let me just give you my email. So if you have any comments or questions, you're more than welcome to send those to me. My email is Dwayne, D-W-A-Y-N-E, dot McCrary, M-C-C-R-A-R-Y, at lifeway.com. You can find that information as well on the masthead. Uh, that's that's the where you see all the legal statements in the front of the resources. Uh, you'll find that information there as well. Thank you much and God bless.